Welcome to Open to Hope Radio with your host, mother-daughter team, Dr. Gloria and Dr. Heidi Horsley. This show is brought to you by the Open to Hope Foundation with the mission of helping people find hope after loss. This show has been edited for your convenience. Now, Open to Hope Radio. Our guest today is Clara Hinton, and our topic is Finding Your Way After Sibling and Child Loss. Clara is the author of several books, including Silent Grief, Miscarriage, Child Loss, Finding Your Way Through the Darkness. Clara suffered through the childhood loss of her sibling and, as an adult, experienced six miscarriages and one stillborn son. Through it all, she maintains a powerful message of hope and healing to all who have gone through this painful journey we call loss. Welcome to the show, Clara. Thank you so much. It's wonderful to be here. It's great to have you on the show, Clara, and uh, you're quite an inspiration. Uh, Tell us a little bit about about your background and uh, you were a bereaved sibling at what age and then then move on a little bit to your other losses. Okay. I became a bereaved sibling at the age of 15. was a really, really difficult time for me. I was very close to my sister. We were two and a half years apart. Was she um, older or younger? She was younger. Than and what me. was her name? Her name was Carmela, and I'm so glad that you asked me because it has taken me many, 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 many years to be able to say her name, believe it or not. Um, That was one of the things that was most difficult for me. Um, I come back from, uh, I'm talking about going back 40 years or more. When we went through loss, we did not have the support that we have today, and loss was kind of swept under the rug, I'll say, and you were told to um, not talk about things anymore. And that was probably one of the most difficult things for me in losing my sister. I didn't, I wasn't able to talk to her, you know, about her to anyone. But we, we shared everything. We were soulmates, I like to say, and we were, um, even shared the same bed, which today, yeah. you know, we... Oh, we all did, and yeah. We did, we yeah, did. We did. And, um, she had asthma and was not I was told was not expected to get sicker. However, when she turned 13, she was very little for her size, which I knew, and she went away to a place to live by the ocean. I lived on the East Coast, and she went to what was called the Betty Backrack Home by the Sea. And my mother and father at that point had um, divorced, which was another um, big, big loss in my life mm-hmm. and something that you couldn't talk about either. But they told me that... Carmela, which is still difficult to say her name, isn't that something, after this many years, that she went away to get better. And she lived there, and that was a place for terminally ill children, I found out later, much, much later, by doing my own research. Wow. And she only lived, um, it was almost six months to the day from the time she left to go there. We were allowed to visit her on weekends. My father would visit on Saturdays, and my mother would take my younger sister, uh, who is nine years younger than me, and we would go every Sunday to visit Carmela. And she was in um, a home. It was a house-type structure for children that had a TB, uh, polio, and, you know, I should have figured it out, but, but you don't. You don't. Right. You tend to not ask questions, and, and especially when you're told, well, she's going to live by the ocean to get better with her right. asthma. I believe that. You, you so do. Once she, once she died, it sounds like she was almost erased from the family's life. I mean, 
She was? Is that true? Okay. It is true, and um, it was horrible. It was horrible for all of us. In fact, I just had a class reunion that I went to, my 40th class uh, high school reunion, and I had students ask me at that time, my friends asked me, what happened to your sister? We never heard her name anymore. She just, we knew she was out of school a lot because she was sick, but we just never really knew what happened. It was almost as though she was obliterated from, from our lives. You know, isn't it incredible that you would go to that reunion and people would come up to you? How was that for you to, to have that? I tell you what, it was hard for me and it was hard for my friends. And we did a lot of crying, a lot of sharing, a lot of crying. They said we never knew and yet we didn't want to ask you. We didn't know what happened. And that's during the times when if if a girl got pregnant, she was sent off, sent right. away to go live with an aunt. If your parents were divorced, as mine were, you never talked about it. Um, you pretended that life was okay, that you you had a father still at home. Um, but, you know, it, it was a, a period of pretend, which was very terrible because you can't pretend forever. You cannot well, pretend. And what's interesting is now all these years later at your 40th reunion, that's when you all came together and grieved and talked openly. Yes, and we did. You know what I love about it is it's never too late. Absolutely, it, Mom. It is never. I'm so glad you said that because mm-hmm. some people think they are lost in this pit of darkness, of, you know, of, of sadness and despair and grieving forever. You don't have to be. Their healing can come many, many, many years later, and that's that's what happened. Is is happening with me. I'm still in the process. Um, still getting comfortable saying Carmela's name. Still getting comfortable with that. But I I thought she was, you know going to live she died the shock was incredible i will never ever forget that um whole experience and not being prepared for death at all is terrible i i was glad in your introduction i believe it was gloria that you said about preparing somewhat for these graduations and and knowing that you're going to face a bad time and often the preparation is the anticipation of is more difficult but education is important with grieving because um, the impossible does sometimes happen, and when you don't think about it at all, it is, it's awful. I, I never knew what a person who died felt like. I, I still can tell you when I felt my sister at the funeral home, I wanted to kiss her, and they had to carry me away. Um, I started screaming so bad. I, I thought she was going to feel like she felt when we shared our bed together. She actually had an asthma attack. She did. And that's what, yeah, that's what she died from. And uh, Clara was talking a little bit about uh, going to her 40th um, uh, anniversary, of her high school graduation, and all the friends getting together and talking about it. And we kind of went out on the fact that, after the show and to break, on the fact that it's never too late and that there can be healing even 40 years later in getting together. So for all of you who have those losses. Uh, and another issue, I think, um, Clara, and I want to talk about your other losses, is, did, you know, does this come up for people, you know, later on if they haven't, if they haven't grieved a loss? Uh, but talk a little bit now about your other losses. Your, your sister died when you were 15, and then right. you went on to get married, have a child, or how did that happen? I have come? six miscarriages. I, I keep reading the word six because it's so... Many. That's a lot. It, oh, my God. That's a lot of loss. Um, I did. I got married at the age of 21, and my husband and I wanted a large family. That's the one thing we prayed about, talked about, and always wanted. First pregnancy went wonderful. Um, you know, and you 
just think at that time, you know, didn't talk about miscarriage at all. Once again, those kinds of things were were quiet. I didn't even know what a miscarriage was, truly. And second pregnancy ended um, in a horrible miscarriage. I will say horrible in in the way that it was handled. Um, I didn't know what was happening Mm -hmm. to my body. I called the doctor. Um, I was living away from home, and he said, you're probably going to lose the baby. Call me if um, the bleeding gets too much. And, and, and how far along were you in the pregnancy? I was about, I was 10 weeks at this mm-hmm. first first loss. Okay. And my losses were at all different um, stages of miscarriage, mm-hmm. so I've had first and second trimester uh, losses, which right. are, each are different. And, right. you know, you can't obviously group any losses together, and and each one was grieved in a different way. But this one was particularly difficult because I had no idea what was happening to my body. And the interesting thing was I lost the baby on a Sunday. Um, The doctor did not want to be bothered. He was in church. And I think that, yeah, <laughs> kind of ironic. <laughs> it was. <laughs> he said, "Stay at home. Get someone to sit with you. And if you feel you are hemorrhaging, I'll never forget those words. Go to the emergency room." My husband, who was young and very inexperienced and uneducated in this, also went to church himself and called a lady to come sit with me. She was an older lady from church, and she did sit with me, and she crocheted in the corner of my bedroom while I proceeded to lose the baby. Um, It was a nightmare experience. I was afraid to talk to her, afraid to cry. I I didn't cry uh, through several hours, a very, very heavy bleeding, too scared to call the doctor, scared to go to the hospital. And when I did lose the baby, I lost the baby um, in the bathroom sitting on the toilet. Mm -hmm. What a terrible way. Mm-hmm. I had a similar. I had a similar experience, and well, as far as the miscarriage in the first trimester, and I wish I could say that things have changed, but but I've had two miscarriages, and the the first one was about four years ago, and unfortunately, the doctor and nurse that I was working with at that time handled it in a very similar, very cold mm-hmm. way. I mean, I know there's very great people out there. I just happened not to be with someone that was very sensitive. Heidi, you you have hit the nail on the head, and that is part of, I think, my mission and passion in life is to change that very thing that, that is still going on yet today. Mm-hmm. And that really upsets me to hear that because I don't think that should be And this is at a major New York hospital. We're not talking about out in the wilderness. It was, and when I went down and, you know, was terrified about what was right. going on, et cetera, they casually told me, oh, by the way, we think you're having a miscarriage. Oh. Why don't you go home and you can call us later? Mm-hmm. It was it was like they were telling me, you know, how much something costs at the grocery store. Exactly. I mean, it was unbelievable. I was so emotional, and there was no, they, you know, Very, that part of it was not dealt with. My psychological no. and emotional state was not dealt with at all. Very little sensitivity yet, uh, and you're right. There are some very sensitive doctors and nurses out there, but it's still, I think, more common to um, you're kind of a number in line, right. and it's happening again, and you become a statistic and go home, and soon it will be all over with. Um, do you want to lose the baby naturally, or do you want to have a DNC and mm-hmm. in six weeks come back for your checkup, end of discussion? 
And, you know, the other issue is there are going to be more and more miscarriages, and there are more and more miscarriages because of the age that women are having babies now, and they need a huge amount of support on those issues because they, you know, there's this time clock ticking. They're under a huge amount of pressure, and uh, it just is not a good way to deal with this. You have hit another big issue, and that is exactly right. Um, Mm -hmm. We are having babies later in life, which does up the chance of, miscarriage and the sensitivity and the um, amount of grief that a person feels is unbelievable and also the guilt for losing a baby. We we have to deal with guilt also. It's not just a grief of loss, but I think we feel that our bodies let us down somehow. At least I did. I went through that and I felt like I was responsible. I let everybody down. Like Heidi said, I wonder if I should have drunk a Coke. There you go. You question everything you did. Was it that Diet Coke I drank for lunch? You know, did did I do something wrong? Sure. Did I exercise too much? Did I lift something? We were in the middle of a move when when this happened to me, and I thought, did I lift a box that was too heavy? What did I do? It had to be my fault. And then there's that stress and fear that, wow, maybe I'll never be able to get pregnant again. Uh, Maybe this is the baby that I will have lost it. I'll I'll never have another. So, I mean, there's that whole thing going on, too. Why did this happen? Huge. Can I I successfully carry a baby to term? Will this happen again? And with you, it did happen again. Oh, it it did. And again, and again. Now, you went through, you had a, a, a living child. I did have a living child. And then, was that a boy, is that a boy or a girl? A girl. And who is she? She is Michelle. Hi, Michelle. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure she is listening, actually. She, she is my um, my angel, of course. I, I do have other children, but in the middle of the mix would be a child and a miscarriage and, or a child and two miscarriages. Uh-huh. And so you had another miscarriage. Yes, I, I did. Back and, to back. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, and that also brings all those issues that you talked about to the forefront. Will I ever be able to have a Living child, will I? Will something? Is something wrong with me? Is something right. wrong um, genetically? We have all these questions, and I think, um, Gloria, something else that's happening with us is we did not used to be able to tell when we were pregnant as oh. soon as we right. can now, and therefore I think a lot of um, women went through miscarriages and did not realize that their mm. hormones were telling them something was wrong. There, I think we can. We somehow have that inside something that tells us when we're pregnant and when we go through a loss, we know we're not feeling right, but now we know for sure. Now you can run out and celebrate when you're, you know, you have the little, I don't know, how, how close is it? I don't know. Heidi, how soon do you know? Well, you can know now. First period, fast. I was yeah. going to say, you you can know very early, early, yeah. early in the game, and we do go out and, you know, yeah, tell people. Boot. And, yeah. and also, sometimes you surprise your husband. I got little baby booties exactly. and wrapped them up, and yep. you know, presented them. And you have these little rituals you do. And and then in your mind, the minute you get pregnant, in your mind, you figure out when the baby's going to be due, how old your other kid is going to be. Yeah. I mean, your whole life has been planned the minute the minute you find out you're pregnant. You while well, we revolve all around that, and we really do, and that's mm-hmm. all we think of day and yeah. night, day and night. And then I always call a miscarriage, a loss that is just throws us into reversal suddenly. Mm-hmm. All this, you know, we have been thinking about the future and how wonderful it's going to be, and all of a sudden, all of that future is taken away suddenly. But there's no one 
usually no one to share that with, those feelings with. And it's a, that's why I named the book Silent Grief. There's a very silent grieving process that we go through or people pass it off because there was nothing to show that we had a baby, no way to right. validate that we had a baby. And that's really, really hard. And really. people do things to minimize your grief after a miscarriage. Oh, at least you yeah. know you can get pregnant yep. or you'll get pregnant again. They say these things rather than just saying that they're sorry that this happened and it's a loss for you, that rarely is acknowledged. At least in my case, it wasn't. It, uh, not at all, and I, I hear that all the time as a common um, woe of mothers, who, and it was one of my biggest woes. I didn't finally stop talk, trying to talk about my miscarriages. I mm-hmm. didn't want to tell people because I did get told that, as you did, and as probably 99% of all mothers who have gone through loss have been told, well, you know, this isn't so bad. At least you didn't have a baby that was born with problems also. Right. Or or um, at least your baby didn't die older, you know, when, right. when the child was older. Or you're young yet. Or you're too old to have a baby. You're too old anyway. Why would you want to have a baby at your age? A lot of mothers get told that right. when they lose a, a baby when they're 40 years old. And that could be right. their first pregnancy. And, and I wanted to say, and then you went on to have one stillborn son. And when we come back from break, I want to talk about that a little bit. And then about how you've coped with this. I mean, you've gone on to okay. do so much helpful work for other people. And, and we want people to know there is hope and and that they will feel good again if they've recently had a miscarriage or a stillbirth child or whatever. Um, you're listening to uh, Dr. Gloria Horsley and Dr. Heidi Horsley. And if you would like to call in, uh, it's a great time to call in the show to ask any questions or uh, give us comments, you can also reach us through our blog, thegriefblog.com, and we're very happy to respond to you, and we'd send emails on to Clara if there are some questions that you had that you didn't get answered. Uh, you can also remember that you can download this show on iTunes and that all those transcripts are there on the site, so it's a wonderful thing. You can download them and hand somebody a transcript if you're not able to, um, if they're not able to access this show through your computer. Uh, so please stay tuned to hear more from Clara Hinton on finding your way after sibling and child loss. Our toll-free number here is 1-866-472-5792. Stay tuned for more. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health & Wellness. Save the date. The Compassionate Friends 31st National Conference will be held July 18th through 20th, 2008 in the home of country music, Nashville, Tennessee. If you've experienced the devastating death of a child in your family, you will not want to miss the weekend of friendship, understanding, and hope when more than 1,200 people just like you will join together. Said one person in describing last summer's 2007 National Conference, there was so much love and compassion, you could feel it in the air. To learn more about the 2008 National Conference, the pre conference professional outreach day and the popular two mile walk to remember visit compassionatefriends.org or call 877-969-0010 detailed information on the conference will be posted to the national website as it becomes available hello my name is dana taylor and i'm a bereaved parent we would like to invite all of you to the university of the cumberlands in williamsburg kentucky on june the 6th and 7th for our 15th annual GEMS Conference to celebrate the lives of our children we have lost too soon. GEMS Conference stands for Joining in Memory. On June the 6th, Cindy Bullens will be giving a concert in memory of our children. June the 7th, 
the documentary Space Between Breaths will be shown, and we will have workshops such as Losing Your Religion After Losing Your Child, How I Have Survived the First Year, a workshop for men only, and another workshop, Signs from Our Children. We will also rededicate a park that has bricks in memory of our children. We will have a balloon release, an earth ceremony, and a surprise at our Christmas box angel statue. You can get more information by going to the website http colon slash slash www.ucumberlands.edu slash l-a-m-e-n-t-a-t-i-o-n-s slash and go under Jim's conference information. Hope to see you there. May you have a good day. Thank you. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. And now we rejoin Dr. Gloria and Dr. Heidi on Healing the Grieving Heart. (laughs) Welcome back to Healing the Grieving Heart. I'm your host, Dr. Heidi, with my mom, Dr. Gloria, and we're here today with Clara Hinton talking about finding your way after sibling and child loss. Clara is the author of several books, including Silent Grief, Miscarriage, Child Loss, Finding Your Way Through the Darkness. Welcome back to the show, Clara and Gloria. Thanks, Heidi. Great to have you on, Clara. Well, when we went to break, we were talking about Clara's um, miscarriage, but we were also saying, uh, I wanted to mention your stillborn son. Did you name him? No, and that bothers me yet. And I will talk about why he is not named. And and I named him myself, but I don't have my family's um, support with that yet. Mm. And that is very difficult for me. And here we go again about the silent type of grieving and the difficult difficulty that it is with grieving losses in different ways. We, at, at the time I had the stillborn little boy, had a very interesting scenario going on because I have um, a lot of, a large family also, even with the losses. My oldest daughter, first child, Michelle, was married and pregnant with her first child at the time I was pregnant with this little boy. Okay, so I'll set that scene. Okay. Okay. She went on to have a live birth. She mm-hmm. delivered a little boy. We were due two months apart. Mm-hmm. I delivered a stillborn baby mm-hmm. boy. And this would have been your youngest? This would have been, um, yeah, I went on and had one more baby after okay. him. Yes. Okay. Yes, would have been my youngest baby. And so I have... You know, here we have a scenario going on where older sister, my daughter, mm-hmm. has a baby boy, right. um, mother, and here's a sister who is carrying a baby, loses her baby brother, mm. and it, yeah, it, it gets a, it's a very complicated loss, very, very complicated loss. When Michelle delivered her little boy, I did not want to see him. I, I was going to ask you how that was for no. you. I, Michelle was actually going to college, and um, uh, Jonathan was a premature. He was born prematurely, mm-hmm. and he was in the hospital for only three weeks. He, he ended up, you know, not being uh, real ill or anything. Thank, thankfully, but I went through a really rough time. And Jonathan uh, was your grandson. Jonathan was my grandson, not your stillborn son. Okay. No, my stillborn son is to this day yet 
unnamed by and my what did family. You name him? I named him Samuel. I love the Samuel, name Samuel. I love that. Yes, thank you. You're very nice. And I I call him that, but interestingly, my family will not, um, including my husband. Mm-hmm. And nobody will talk about this little boy except um, when I wrote the book, and he was he was talked about. Every family member read the book and wept and cried and sent me emails and sent me letters and said, you know, they they were doing their grieving while they were reading the book. But to this day, yet it's a very silent topic. When I bring up, you know, I, I will always say I'm, uh, you know, talk about the stillborn little boy. He was born actually four days after Mother's Day. Mother's Day. And this- when he was born, was he held by you and your husband? He was held by us, yes, uh-huh. both. We went to the hospital. I um, actually carried him. He had died about two and a half weeks prior. And my doctor... He well, died in utero? He died in utero. So you knew he was dead? I knew he was that's dead. A whole other, that's a whole other whole show. Other, whole other show. He yeah. really is. That is, um, that is huge to know that. Whole other show, yes. I carried him for close to three weeks knowing he had died. Mm-hmm. And so I, you know, I telling the children this, I told their teachers this, um, their behavior got all weird in school, and, mm-hmm. you know, I have teachers calling, is this true, are your kids making up stories, um, you know, that whole thing, but it, it was a very complicated loss because of having a, another child born into the family the same time my baby would have been born, and I noticed mm-hmm. I still call him my baby. I, um, mm-hmm. I don't know that I... I've worked through it in that I love Jonathan so much, and I did end up babysitting him for Michelle, which was a horrible, horrible thing for me um, uh, to do at first because I didn't even want to look at him. Mm-hmm. I did not, and it took me a while. So while he was in the hospital, I would not look at him. And then suddenly, you know, she didn't know what to do. She was going on to college, and here I had to babysit this little boy um, that, should have been my little boy, as I thought. Right. Uh-huh. So it was, it made a very complicated uh, loss, very, yeah, very well, you complicated. Know, when, when, when I decided to get pregnant the second time, I have a, a son, but um, and I became I had secondary infertility, I talked to my sisters, and we all decided we were going to get pregnant together, Okay, my two sisters and I. Uh-huh. And so we all set about doing that, and my, we all got pregnant. I had the miscarriage, and then I had another oh. miscarriage, and my sisters gave birth to sons, and they're right. a week apart. And it wow. was really hard for me to see my sisters pregnant mm-hmm. um, because I felt like that should have been me and that should have been my child. And, you know, there is. There's, and it just brings back the loss all over again, over and over and over. It does. It does. And as I look at Jonathan, um, you know, I often wonder what would my, you know, would they have grown up like, they'd have been more like brothers you know, mm-hmm. together, and, and Michelle and I were very excited at the time about being pregnant together. It was a really neat thing. We were really, really neat, um, not planned that way, but very exciting for us. Well, you know, um, now I want to say to our audience out there who are listening, they've identified with this, and um, I think that, you know, you are certainly an expert on the things that they're going through, and Give us, give us some hope and some message. What right. did you do, and you. and how have you how have you done it? How have you moved on, and and what's happening? Mm-hmm. Moving on is absolutely positively, I believe, necessary. And in order to move on, I think the first, very first thing that is the hardest, but the most important to do is to acknowledge that we've had a loss. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. which I think you and Heidi are doing well right now. There yep. you go. Yes. And that that's the number one thing. So many times we try to um, just hush it, uh, tuck it away in the back of our minds, pretend that life is the same, that life will go on. It isn't. And even if other people will, will not acknowledge with us our loss, we have to. Cry when you have to. Uh, put yourself to bed when you have to. I liked what you said about the graduation in the very beginning of this program where one lady, one mother decided she's not going to graduation because mm-hmm. her, her child wasn't there. Do whatever it takes for you. To work and, and like your you grief. said, Clara, name your son, name your child if yes. you want to. Yes. Even name name your miscarriages. I do well, what you want. Too. Exactly. I have a daughter who just went through a miscarriage a mm-hmm. month ago. She named her son, and thankfully I'm, I was able to talk with her. And I said, Wonderful. name your baby. Yes. She named him Ethan. She and her oh. husband, she just sent me a note I got in the mail today, and she said, thank you, Mother, so much for saying that we could name this baby. We love yes. the name Ethan. He would have been Ethan. Mm-hmm. And so he has a name. Um, I think that's really important because then it's not just a, a faded memory, it's something that's real that you can say, you know, I had a baby and his name was Ethan or her name was Carmela or her name was whatever. And then after you actually acknowledge and, and your loss is identified as real, then comes the, the painful part of working through that pain. And May like, I say one more thing, though, sure. in between there? Don't expect other people to respond the way you want them to. No. It's it, you know they don't have no. to respond that way. No. They don't have to want you to name your miscarriage. You know you do what you need to do and let people do what they need to do. Well, I, and one of the gifts my my own mother gave me, you mom, mm-hmm. was that when I told her I had a miscarriage, she started. She was very emotional. Right. And I said, Mom, you're really emotional. She goes, I know because I just lost a grandchild. Exactly. And I loved that because she was acknowledging her own loss. She did. And that's, that is so important too. And that's mm-hmm. so helpful, I think, when, yeah. when just, when other people just listen too. But, um, Gloria, I guess it is. Mm-hmm. I think you're so right that we should not place all our, um, wishful thinking, so to speak, and others reacting. Because it's so disappointing. It is. Mm -hmm. And we take it very personally, very, very Mm -hmm. personally. And unfortunately, life goes on for most other people. And, And, um, you know, it's not really, uh, it's not about you that they don't respond. It's not that they don't love you. It's it's their own thing. It's just, I think, and uh, a total um, misunderstanding, lack of going through that type of loss, um, and, and just not getting it. For right. whatever reason, just but it's but it. it's not it's their you know it's their thing it's not it's yours exactly yeah, so, so so carry on with that I just okay to... there's no right or way wrong to grieve uh, right or wrong way to grieve do whatever it takes to make you feel better and if that means going to bed for a week do it if it means um, going out and having a, a Easter at McDonald's um, do it you know do whatever but, but it takes you, Clara I'm just thinking of you having a difficult time with your grandson, but then you got to a point where you really embraced him and were okay that he, you know, and were fine with it all. And how did you get to that point? What exactly did you do? I'll and tell I you. you're a resiliency coach, which is amazing. Right. I did a lot of crying. I did a lot of journaling, which I think helps because I didn't have people who wanted to talk about my little stillborn boy. It was too painful for them, I do believe. So I journaled a lot. I wrote down how I felt, and I would look at Jonathan, and I would say, 
I write in my journal, I wish that I was holding my own baby. You're not my little boy. And as I wrote those things and would read over them, I began, I call, I began peeling back the layers of my grief to where I could bear my soul, get it all out, and then the healing began. As I looked at his little feet, uh, one of the first things that I began to appreciate about him were his feet, of all things. <laughs> I thought they're perfect. How could I not be happy with seeing those? Well, and then you were able to embrace Jonathan and say, I am so filled with gratitude that I yes. have a grandchild. Yes, and it it eventually got to that, and it took several months. I will say it took um, eight or nine months at least to get to that point mm-hmm. of where I could pick him up and really plant a little kiss on his chubby little cheek by then and, and love him. And you know, I think what's important about what you're talking about now, Claire, is I hear so many parents say, uh, moms and dads, that it's hard to go see other children. Right. And here this is even your grandchild and right. it's been hard. So we want to say to you folks out there, it's natural that it's hard. There's Very nothing wrong with you. Nothing at all wrong with feeling and, and, like and that. And I appreciate your honesty. It was, some people would not be honest about this, right. since it's their grandchild. It was difficult, I think, for... Um, it was painful for Michelle to hear that. It was painful, though, for her in a different sort of way. She said the guilt she felt was horrible. She went on to have a baby, and I lost mine. And she said, Mother, I, you know, if I had to make a choice, it would have been me. And that really made me feel more guilty. And I think a lot of guilt is associated with Yeah, guilt. I wanted to ask you, how do you... Uh, deal with anger and guilt. I know you talk about that in the book, and we don't have trouble to, the time to cover all this, but you also have a wonderful website that people can go to and read uh, little things that you have about anger and guilt and um, uh, anticipatory grief if, if you know that the child's going to be born dead. Talk about anticipatory grief, knowing that you're going to have a, That's a, a child. Toughie. That's a toughie because yeah. you're already preparing for, for um, the death in, in many ways. And is there ever a great way to prepare for death? Not at all, but we... Um, we start doing our grieving before the death has even occurred, and we get angry with God, with everybody around us, I think, for... And uh, as we say, God can take it. Right. He can take it, thankfully. Um, but for me, for many others, when you hear a cluster of people talking and laughing, it used to really aggravate me and get mad, uh, make me get very angry, because life was good for them and laughter mm-hmm. was not part of my life. And it takes a while, a long while, to work through that where you can actually see the sun uh, popping through the clouds. And that, know, that is so true in so many ways because it's, it's a real insult when you go outside and you're mm-hmm. not doing well and you're grieving and the weather's even nicer. Yeah. You can, give, can you give them your website? I sure can. They can go to silentgrief.com and that will give them the message boards that are full of information and they can make friends there. Um, There are articles on the website that they can print off and use. Um, There are all kinds of links to support groups and other other areas where they can get help, Um, just lots of information on the website. They can also get the book there. Yeah. Okay, great. So you can get uh, Clara's book on silent grief, miscarriage, child loss, and finding your way through darkness. Clara, um, since this is our last segment, do you have some uh, uh, thoughts 
I, I particularly, we kind of went off a little bit on anger and guilt. And, right. Uh, is there anything more you want to say about that to folks out there? Just that those are normal feelings that we go through, and I think that is a normal part of, of losing um, a loved one, a child especially. We get very angry, and, and not to feel guilty over that, or the jealousy that we talked about, and, and I'm not afraid to say that word anymore. I was extremely jealous of other pregnant women, yeah. um, very much so, and afraid to say that, felt guilt, very, very guilty for it, and many times Christians especially feel that they have to be strong and tough and, um, you know, be uh, not show any signs of sorrow or that that's weakness if we do that. Not so. Now, what about the husband and wife thing? Very, very difficult because husbands will grieve very differently from women. Um, I was very hurt by my husband not talking about the loss or not wanting to name our stillborn baby, which, you know, like I said, I had to do that by myself. Um, They're fixers. Um, they, and this is something they can't fix. And they also haven't had the nine, the nine month relationship that you had with Samuel. Not at all. Not at all. So it's totally different. Um, and you can't explain it to anybody who hasn't been there, really. So uh, they don't know what our bodies have gone through. They don't know the emotional tie that we, we've had with a child. With with uh, at any age, there's just a, a special bond that a mother feels because of carrying that baby. So it's very hard, and I would say to every wife out there, again, don't take the way a man grieves personally because they are grieving, but in their own way. But it's a very different way than how we grieve. I think we are very verbal, um, want to be at least, and men are very quiet. They want to go out and meet. My husband built this huge tree house, <laughs> and why, why he built it yet to this day, I can laugh about it now, but I understand it was his way of working through grief. He had to make something. And by the way, the poor tree house blew out of the trees, and it's down on the ground now. But he uh, it was his thing that he had to do. And it may have been his tribute to Samuel in many ways, too. I think it was because it was mm-hmm. during that time that he did It sounds that. like you might need a ritual, a treehouse ritual of burning it or giving it away or doing something with it. Well, you know when... In it, honor of your son. It, it, I appreciate that because that there are things that we have done similar to that, but when the treehouse fell... Very interestingly, he didn't want to hoist it back up and put it in the tree. It may be true with that, yeah. I I think that's very symbolic of being able to move forward. Yeah, and you can certainly use it as a symbol. Do you uh, quickly have any other rituals that you can recommend to people? I myself have gone into flower gardening, and I love it. I just love planting bulbs in the fall and winter and knowing that in the spring I can see blooms appear. And for me, that's symbolic of even though death is card, hold, harsh, that there will be a time when the soil softens and when something comes up through that soil, and that I call that hope, and offers to us a beautiful bloom. For me, that's been wonderful. Journaling is another thing. Um, balloon releases, I've done that, and I love it because it's, it's just letting go. I've also gone uh, to a river before and just written notes on it 
of how I felt during loss and just floated those notes down the river. And oh, that's a, that's a wonderful just idea. Let go it. of them. Just well, it's, it's time for us to close the show okay. right now, and I wondered if you had any closing thought for our audience out there. I think if I had to leave one closing thought, uh, Gloria, it would be that healing is a choice. And at some point in time, I know that sounds harsh to some people when you're in the very deep throes of grief, but there will come a time when we will have to acknowledge what we've lost and when we will want to choose going on, healing, moving forward, and that there, even in spite of all of the loss that we have in our lives, there are so many blessings that we can enjoy, and that we are never, ever, ever alone. I feel like right being on this show that I've made two very special friends with both of you, with with Gloria and Heidi. We share something in common. We've been through loss. We, we're, we're common kindred spirits. And I think everybody needs to remember that, that, that there are people out there that have gone through the same thing. They've made the choice to go on. And every person can do that. Uh, thank you so much for being thank on our you. show, Claire. Thank you. And leaving with that wonderful message. You have been listening to Open to Hope Radio. You can sign up for our newsletter, Facebook, and Twitter on our homepage at opentohope.com.